The presenting sponsor of Moon Tower Soccer is FVF Law. To find out what makes FVF a different kind of injury law firm, you can visit FVF.law. Thanks for listening to Moon Tower Soccer. This week, we'll cover Austin FC's loss away at FC Dallas, and then we'll preview the final two games of the year. I can't believe it, the last two. Uh, and then we'll also cover a few other pieces of Austin FC news. My name's Landon Cottom, and I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Jeremiah Bentley. Hey, everybody. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. And Landon and I, we might have gotten closer than anybody else from Austin to Copa Tejas on Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> Is that right? Because us and uh, and Roberto, and then I guess maybe probably Chris Bills were closer than any of the players for sure. <laughs> for sure, yeah. Um, so what did you think? Uh, you hadn't seen or read much about it, or I, I, mean, I don't think you'd really seen a, whole, a ton. What you what you think about the I trophy s- itself? I, I saw a very blurry uh, like cell phone picture of it uh, before it had even been polished. And so I had like a vague idea of what it was shaped like, but uh, I was I was pretty impressed by it i think it's a good looking trophy and they i was glad they didn't go with anything too like i don't know like kind of a hokey like a a joke trophy like they they made it like kind of a classic respectable trophy and didn't lean too hard into like texas tropes although the base of like the form of the silver part is the shape of texas which i thought was a really nice like subtle little touch but uh yeah i was i was uh, I thought it was really nice. We we did. I don't know if we should say this on the air. I don't think we were supposed to touch it. But Roberto tried to take the top <laughs> off to see if we could drink out of it, <laughs> and we didn't think it came off. But then apparently the Dallas fans were able to. I don't know if they broke it or what, but the top came off for them. <laughs> yeah, I think the tweet that we read was at the top. The top does come off, and it was dented. Right? Is, is that what we saw from the, from the Dallas soccer show guys? So. Yeah, we had the, a chance to to do a little live show for, uh, with the striker. Um, and those of you that got the chance to watch it, thanks for doing that. We had a really fun interview with Katie Ensign, who had a lot of good stuff to say about sort of travel and Copa Tejas and fandom and all that. And so if you didn't, I'll link to it in the show notes if you didn't get a chance to check it out so that people can watch at least that part of the video. I mean, we were us. We were as interesting or as uninteresting <laughs> as we normally are, but, but Katie was good. Um, and so I think that was, that was a fun trip overall up until we get to the soccer part of it. Yeah. And even some of the soccer part was fun. (laughs) Yeah. Well, let's, let's talk about the soccer part then maybe. Yeah. So in the, uh, that live, that live show that we did, we kind of made some predictions about the lineup. Uh, I think we got all of it right, except for the fullbacks, right? So they ended up starting, um, Nick Lima and Hector Jimenez at the fullbacks, playing Lima at left back. And after watching the post-game press conference and watching the game, it seems like he did that to specifically match him up with Hader Obreon, which seems like a pretty a pretty smart move. Lima has been really, is in general really solid defensively and has been over the last few games. And so I think it made a lot of sense to put uh, to put Lima on Obreon. And then he mentioned in the, press, the post-game press conference really liking uh, Diego and Hector's um, kind of link up and playing off of each other. So uh, I thought that made sense and also seemed to maybe be the more reliable defensive setup as well. I know Kolmanich is is pretty solid defensively, but maybe gets get caught gets caught out of position a bit more than than Hector does. Um, and then with Danny Pereira playing at the six again, which we also mentioned was kind of a risky play, right? I think you you were asking like what is 
who's the better play for this matchup? And my answer was like, it's, it's give and take either way. I think Pochettino maybe provides you a bit more strength defensively playing in that position. And Danny maybe gives you a little bit more going forward and carrying the ball and breaking the press. And um, we'll get into to how that did, but I think it did play into this game a fair amount. I guess we could we we mentioned the Copa itself, but we didn't really talk very much about um, anything that led up to it. I, it was interesting for me to see in the week le- leading up to this match, like Austin FC talking about it a lot on the website, on Twitter. I think Anthony Precourt Twitter tweeted about it, um, and it became, you know. I think it was always a thing to the fans, especially from Austin, but it became a thing to the front office too. Were you excited to see that? Or do you have any different different opinions on maybe why we saw so much talk about it this week? Uh, I mean, I think it was probably like just the last thing to look forward to really. Like this, most of this season's, like any hope of joy coming out of the season was probably going to happen at that game. And so I think that had a lot to do with it. I think there's also like maybe some some weirdness from the league um, because it's not a, a sanctioned MLS trophy. Like this is a fan led thing, which is a really cool part of it. But like MLS gets weird about stuff that's not theirs because they, they like having control over everything. And so because it's not theirs, like we weren't sure if they were going to let there be a trophy presentation after the game. We didn't know how that was going to work. And I kind of guessed like if we won, maybe they wouldn't let us do one. And then if Dallas won, they would have let them do one because it was at their home field. But I think that had a lot to do with it or some, some to do with it, but it, it was, it was nice to see that pre-court and Wolf and uh, I don't know if we saw anything directly from players about Copa Tejas, but uh, it was, it was good to see some folks from the club mentioning it directly and saying that it was important to them. Yeah, we did. We had heard a rumor that even if Dallas won it, that they weren't going to let him do it on the field. But clearly, that that changed. I think it ended up. Um, oh, because because it was sitting beside us and it disappeared. Yeah, they had it, to come steal it from us in the middle of our live stream. <laughs> and because yeah, they had to go put it on the uh, uh, Dallas broadcast, so it ended up in the booth with uh, the Dallas soccer announcers. And then they did it uh, after the game. They did the presentation on the field, um, and then. You know, I mean, Dallas is there's a lot going on in Dallas and there's a lot of sports that are franchises that are probably like a bigger thing to the city as a whole. But I will admit that um, the next morning while we were eating hot continental breakfast at the fabulous Fairfield Inn in Frisco, Texas, that like they did run on the like whatever their local ABC station sports channel. They did a whole they did a whole package on Copa Tejas and the presentation and all that, too. So at least it got some even in Dallas, like it got some play. Well, good for them. Um, I think, I think it's also like Dallas cared about it as well. The, the teams, both teams seem to be fighting really hard to win that game. Uh, the fans cared about it. The Dallas fans celebrated like crazy after they won it. And so, um, I think I, I like that part of it as well, that this hopefully will mean something more going forward. And I think also it proves another point that I've been making various points over the year that if anybody, like uh, certain Dallas and Houston fans trying to pretend like Austin isn't a rival or isn't going to be a rival. I think that's very clear that that's not true anymore. And anybody who says that they don't think it's true is fucking lying. That <laughs> <laughs> gets very fair, man. Yeah. Yeah. They try really, really hard to say that we're not their rival, which just kind of proves the point for sure. All right. Let's run through some of the major points of the game here. So, uh, 
early on, the game was a little bit ugly, like not a lot of beautiful soccer being strung together for the first little bit there. Uh, Austin kicks off the scoring with uh, Diego Fagundes' goal in the 36th minute. So we were playing along the right touchline. Alex Ring receives it in midfield, turns and hits a, a long field, uh, like switches it across the field to Diego, who ends up one-on-one with uh, Emma Tumasi, the right back. A second defender comes to help, but Nick Lima is making an overlapping run. Both Tumasi and the second defender both kind of run to Mark Lima. Tumasi thought that maybe the help was going to switch with him, but it didn't, which gives Diego a bunch of space. He takes a touch into that space and hits a really hard, beautiful curling ball through traffic around uh, Jimmy Marr, the goalkeeper, and toward like right inside the back post. So first goal there for Austin, it was Diego's seventh goal of the year, which I believe puts him joint lead scorer with Cecilio. Is that right? That is right. We thought Cecilio had eight for a little bit uh, from the PK, uh, (laughs) but then after that got ruled as an own goal that put him back on seven. So that left him even. And um, one thing that I appreciate about the uh, lightly attended Dallas crowd was that I was up getting a beer but their their bars were like set up where you could actually see the game from like standing at the bar. So I was I was able to see that one uh, anyhow. And actually, I think <laughs> both those goals came before I got back to my seat. Because yeah, they, they came did. So, they came so close together. It was like what a minute and twenty <laughs> seconds between that that brief moment of joy and then the uh, disdain that came after that. Yeah, thirty eighth minute. Yeah, less than two minutes after, um, Jesus Ferreira scores a goal. So. Ferreira has scored in, in all three matches against us at this point. So you would and scored in the two matches before. Did he score two goals in one of those games? Or at least had he was highly involved in several of the goals in that second game for sure. Um, and then scored in that first game. And so you would imagine he's a guy you would you would try to mark when he's standing in the six-yard box. But uh yeah, there was kind of like a domino effect and I don't think it was a matter of the players being lazy. This wasn't this wasn't that last game we we're talking about where there's four guys standing there in a corner and nobody even tried to get it. That's not what happened here. It was just maybe guys not necessarily doing what they should have been. And Wolf referenced this in the post uh, post game press conference, uh, saying that it was kind of like a domino effect. So in the backfield, Gite is marking uh, Cerillo. He kind of turns and faces back towards Gite, and Wolf said that he should have been putting pressure on that ball there, which leaves Cecilio out to dry. Cerillo chips the ball over Cecilio to uh, to Tumasi on the sideline. Tumasi plays Obreon uh, with a through ball up the sideline. Just before that, Nick Lima and Johan Romagna both kind of like stepped forward to keep to keep him off or to, to, to try play to him, him offside, side, right? yeah. but neither of them do a very good job and neither of them would have been successful because the whole line did not step with them. So uh, it just really put them out of possession. And so the ball gets right through uh, Hector Jimenez is tracking, is tracking Ferreira's run and him and Cascante both kind of hold up, I think because Ricardo Pepe, was kind of lingering at the top of the box. And so they both kind of held up. And because Obreon had dr- driven into the box and like up against the inline, they kind of dropped back to stop that cutback ball to 
uh, to Ricardo Pepe. Romagna doesn't really put enough pressure on Obreon there and leaves a little bit of a window to play it just straight down the line, which Obreon does, plays it through that window. Stuver doesn't react fast enough to block that cross in. Jesus Ferreira is standing essentially on the goal line by yeah. himself, nobody even looking at him, and just touches it in. And so there wasn't any one big mistake that happened there. It was just nobody doing their job completely correctly. And it's it's really frustrating to see, but especially in, and it's not even it's not even a system thing, right? Like if everyone was doing it, like doing the right thing, or even two or three of them were doing the right thing, that goal wouldn't have happened. But it was like everybody did something wrong, leaving Ferreira wide open on the goal line to not even have to move to put the ball in. Yeah, and you just see three guys in white looking defeated there. I think it was uh, what Jimenez, Cascante, <laughs> and Romagna all just like hands on knees, you know, knowing that they had made sort of a big team error. Yeah. Um, that led, yeah, that led that to be to be tied up. So in the forty seventh minute, like just after, was it, this was after halftime, right? It was right after halftime because it's like right, right coming out of halftime. I think it was Ferreira almost got another quick one, like in the forty fifth minute, and then there's a little back and forth, and then there's a challenge, um, on Danny in midfield. Right. Drew yeah. And this is uh, this is. I believe Edwin Cerillo, um, there's kind of a ball gets chipped, like popped up in the air off of a header. Danny Pereira is waiting for it to come down and Cerillo comes in and just decks him while he's waiting for the ball to drop. Never looks at the ball, knows exactly what he's doing the whole time. And felt just like he with his shoulder, Danny. right? Like yeah. shoulder, shoulder into Danny's like the top, in not the Danny's middle head, of his but back. yeah. But in, yeah, do his back. Yeah, and Danny's head like kind of whiplashed, and he dropped and was was having trouble breathing when he hit the ground. Do you think that should have been a red card? I think that should have been yes. That's one I do think should have been a red card. It was just he wasn't making a movement on the ball at all, and it was it felt like it was what oh you got the wolf quote here that it was reckless but not violent, but it felt pretty violent and reckless both. And that that's not a quote from Wolf. That's what Wolf was told by the oh, fourth he was official. Told. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, and Wolf was fought back against that he said it looked pretty violent to me and i i agree with him uh but yeah the fourth official told them that it was reckless therefore a yellow card but not violent therefore not a red card and i think like by the letter of the law that should be a red card it's it's not one like as far as like the norms of the game and what what is normally given in that situation I think it's probably not going to be given most of the time just because of the circumstances. But by the letter of the law, I think that should have been a red card. Um, shortly after this, it was the 57th minute. Is that right? Yeah, when that the was, actual red card came? Yeah, then, then the red card came out. Yeah. Yeah. So this is something that was worrying me from the beginning of the game. I think the first major moment happened in the like the 16th minute. There was uh, we turned the ball over in the midfield with Nick Lima pushed really high into the attack. Uh, the midfielders don't drop in to cover for him. Romagna follows in, follows a forward into the midfield, and Pomical makes a run down the right hand side, and they launch a long ball to him. Luckily, that attack didn't turn into anything, but little moments like that were happening all night where the the back line wasn't quite organized enough or they weren't rotating properly from the midfield into the back line there. 
and just the overall defensive structure wasn't moving the way it should have been. And this is a moment where in this red card in the 47th minute, um, this is another thing that Wolf mentioned. I think Chris Bills asked him about speed or sorry, the 57th minute, not the 47th minute. Chris Bills asked him about speed and he said, yeah, speed is an issue, but this, like there's more issues at hand than speed in this situation. Like it's not, not dropping whenever you see that long ball coming, it's dropping at the wrong time. It's kind of moving the wrong way at the, at the wrong time. And so we get caught out with Pomacall making a run in behind. They launch it in. It bounces or it bounces once. He's about to receive it. Hector Jimenez touches him with his hand. Pomacall smartly goes down. Red card. Jimenez is out. This one, I think, was probably shouldn't have been a red card. Uh, I think Pomacall played it really well to where he kind of forced the ref's hand when Jimenez, Jimenez made the mistake of, of putting his hands out, right? Like he didn't foul him. He didn't push him. He didn't pull him. He just kind of touched him. And as soon as that happens, Pomacall does the the smart thing. I'm not going to fault Pomacall for going down, but he drops like, like Jimenez shot him. And, uh, I, I think he forces the, the ref's hand there because even on review, I think you can't see enough of it to to turn to overturn that call. Uh, but yeah, red card, and then we have to play down a man the rest of the game. But I, a, a little bit harsh there for sure. So we were we were next to each other when that happened, and did they go to did they go to VAR at all, or did they not even review? I mean, it? they halted play for a while, so like okay. VAR definitely looked at it, but they didn't. So didn't the rule the- is like VAR like. If if they think there was a clear and obvious error, they'll they'll tell the ref on the field to go over and and take a look and have the opportunity to overturn it. So in that circumstance, the video assistant referee in the booth decided there was not a clear and obvious error, and therefore the the There's primary no official on the field yeah. didn't go take a look at it. So they yeah they, it looked like they did halt play though for a second for the the video assistant ref to to take a look. Um, but yeah, I I I don't. Th- I think once the call is made, I don't think the angle was there to be able to say that it was a mistake. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I just say con- congratulations, uh, Paxton Pomacall, for, for selling that one because he did a good job at it. Yeah, I think you really hit on hit on it about sort of the just the you just can't put yourself in that situation, like with everything that's going on. Right. Um, and that, you know, that was kind that's, of that's the thing I need to do avoid was was. Because when I watched it today, I went back and watched it today because, you know, live, I was like, oh, there's this is insane. And we're getting job by the refs again all the time. And, you know, when I watched it this afternoon, I was like, OK, I can see I can see how this this is a red in the situation. So it's just like overall, we should not have had that opportunity created. Right. And yeah, and in the press game, the post game press conference, Wolf seemed to be a bit more annoyed that the we allowed that ball to get played over the top in the first place and less about the red card. He seemed to be like, like, yeah, I understand the red card. Sure. Whatever. And like, well, I'm sure we'll get an email in the next few days saying oh, like right. whether it was or wasn't a red card, but he seemed to be more upset about us getting caught out to let that ball get played through in the first place, which yeah, he's right. Like if we don't let them play that easy of a ball, then Jimenez isn't in that situation. So um, yeah. And another, another example of, of the back line not being organized enough and not reacting in the right way to be able to cut out some of those plays. 
So how do you think we did after that? Uh, we talked a little bit about this. We go into a four four one. I, I don't, I don't know what your normal formations are playing down a man, but that seems like a pretty standard one. One would think. Yeah. This, so we bring off Gta, put on Kolmanich. So we have essentially a full team. What we would be in our our defensive four four two setup, but without a second forward at this point. And Drew C was up there by himself and ran a million miles during the rest of the game, just running all over the place. Because instead of having the two players to press at the top, it was just him. And he was trying to do both jobs and did a decent job of it, uh, considering the circumstances. But um, we really did like a, a pretty good job of, of bunkering and defending after that point with even, even a man down. And then almost got a goal in the 73rd minute, Drusi almost scores uh off of a cross, I think maybe, I don't know, Ring or Fagundes, somebody crossed it in for him and he almost puts it in and it bounces over the, the crossbar. But if he hits that one a little bit cleaner, uh, that might be uh, 2-1 for Austin at that point in the 73rd minute. But uh, just after that, Frank O'Hara comes on in the like 78th, 79th minute and is on the field for about 30 seconds. His first touch of the match scores, puts Dallas up 2-1. And so in this one... Uh, Obreon gets the ball kind of at the wide at the edge of the penalty box, plays a little cross in who I'm not sure he was playing the ball to Hara. I kind of think he was hitting it into Ferreira at the top of the box. Ring is, is charging back, recovering, sticks a leg up and takes a little touch on the ball. And it kind of changes the direction and floats it into the vicinity of Hara. Hara does really well to kind of react and just kind of throw his body in the air and get a foot on it. And it happened so quickly and was so close range that Stuver barely has a chance to react and, and the ball goes goes past him to put Dallas up two one. Yeah, and then we wouldn't we wouldn't threaten after that, uh really. And then so then that's about the point I don't remember exactly when it happened, but when does Romagna go down? That's eighty ish, correct? Uh is after that goal, but before McKenzie Gaines came in, I think. So somewhere between eighty and eighty four. Was it before McKenzie Gaines came in? I thought it was. I think it was after. Oh, was it after? Okay. Well, that makes more sense given what happened. Okay. Because I wanted to check that. I I was watching to check, and I'm almost positive it happens after that last sub. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, because that sets it up where we had used all three substitution windows. So even though we'd only subbed in, what, three players, we, we couldn't sub again. Correct. Yeah. So I think some people were a bit confused as to why we didn't use another sub, even though you have five subs, we'd only use three. You only get three windows within the run of play. So if you make a sub at halftime, that doesn't use one of your windows. You would still have three to use after that. So you can sub in five players, but only get those three windows and halftime to make those subs. And so uh, we make our last sub in the... What minute was that? Let me pull that up real that, quick. That was 84. Because Kolmanich so at 60, okay. Pochettino at 66, and then Gaines at 84. Yeah, so Gain, yeah, Gaines comes on for uh, Cascante, right? In the 84th minute. Yep. We're then playing um, Alex Ring is kind of playing center back and then pushing into midfield as we're pushing forward. Uh, shortly after that, Johan Romagna ends up one-on-one on the sideline chasing down uh, Jader Obreon and at one point just kind of like pulls up and falls to the ground. And to me, the way he went down, it looked like a hamstring, but 
the way he was moving after that, it didn't really look like hamstring, but he was clearly in a lot of pain, could barely run. And that was for the last, I don't know, seven or eight minutes of the game, um, including the stoppage time. But I think at one point, Romagna pleaded to get taken off. And at one point, Ring yelled at Wolf, telling him to take him off. And he's like, I just saw, I saw a ring yell at him once. And then Wolf just looked at him and threw his hands up in the air. He's like, I got no more subs. I can't do it. And that that's something I wanted to go back and look at is if he could have played the subs a little bit smarter to not end up in that situation. And I'm, you could argue maybe he could have, but I don't know that there's a lot else he could have done there really. Like uh, looking at the people on the bench, the only other defender we have on the bench at this point is Freddie Kleeman. And he clearly does not trust Freddie Kleeman to play in MLS games. We we've not really seen him do it. Um, and so Romagna isn't injured at that point. And so at the 84th minute, when he makes that last sub, I think he thinks Romagna can finish the game. And so you put in, instead of like, being cautious and subbing out someone who might be a little too tired, you put on gains hoping to maybe steal an equalizer in that moment. And then like, I don't, do you think he could have done anything differently there as far as the subs go? I mean, it's easy. It's easy to think that like looking back, I mean, I think the reasonably the only thing that he could have done is so Kolnich comes on for GTA at 60 Pochettino for Dominguez at 66. Like he could have made both those subs together. Maybe. Yeah, and preserve and preserve one more window. I think it's the only that's the only way that he could have done that. But that would be, but at be that doing moment, it in anticipation of like, oh, somebody might get injured. Right now, now we know that. But I, I think the next the next action on the timeline here maybe says why he'd made those subs separately. The next action here is a yellow card for Brad Stewart for time wasting, which oh, yeah. we were doing a little bit of at that point because we we're down a man, uh, and like not trying to make the game go faster. And so making those two subs, yeah, I think you, you slow the game down a little bit, but yeah, I think you're right. That's really the only thing he maybe could have done. And maybe that would have been the smart move is to bring those two guys off at once. But uh, overall, like, I don't know. It's, I think that's a hindsight 2020 kind of thing. Uh, You don't expect Johan to go down at like two minutes after you use your last sub. So it's just a little bit unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. Cause they weren't getting anything else out of, like you said, they weren't getting anything out of Cleman. So there was another reason to hold on to that spot. Uh, yes, yeah, so Romagna ends the game playing center forward again, because <laughs> it's the place he was going to have to run the least and, and like yeah. not really run very much. So they just left him up there with uh, Alex Ring as the only center back and only defensive midfielder. <laughs> um, but yeah, nothing nothing else really comes of the rest of the game and it ends 2-1 FC Dallas. FC Dallas wins the first ever uh, MLS version of Copa Tejas and Austin is still in last place in the West. <laughs> Yeah, and so we did talked about how bad they were on the road, and um, we found from Jordan Stewart and Slack, I think, had, did a pretty good job of expressing exactly how bad we were. So since beating Minnesota on May 1st, Austin FC is winless in 13 road matches, including four losses and a draw when scoring the first goal. In every case, it was their only goal. We've only scored more than one goal on the road exactly once in Denver, 
and it was the only time that we've won when conceding first. Vancouver has more comfort behind wins against Austin than Austin has against the entire league. Like, that's a pretty bad... <laughs> it's a pretty bad run to end the season, which I think we... We did, we, we, on the, uh, the Striker Live show, we talked about how bad we were on the road and came up with reasons why this would be different, right? Because we got to travel early and we got to drive and we had our best 11 and all those other things. But apparently we're just a really, really bad road team. I think we were like bad for different reasons, though. Like the energy was there. I, I felt like the team fought. Um, so we had like, the lead. At, <laughs> at, at, one at the end of the game, like I, I think I turned, I don't think it was to you, maybe it was to Ashley, but I was like, I'm, I'm still proud of these guys. Like they fought really hard the whole game. They, I I don't think anybody can look at that game and think that anybody didn't care about it. And so it was different reasons, but still absolutely not good enough. And so, um, yeah, it's very frustrating and very disappointing that we lose away games in such a, a variety of ways. Uh, so looking at the post-game press conference, there's, I think, a few moments that stood out. One, one, another thing I mentioned in the the live stream before the show was how I, I feel like Austin kind of shot themselves in the foot by pressing too much, pressing FC Dallas too much. And Wolf said that exact thing after the game. And I, I was curious to know if that was planned pressing or if it was the players going when they shouldn't have. And Wolf essentially said like, there was moments we are going to press in certain moments and sit back in other moments. And that the players kind of weren't sure when to go and kind of pushed up on their own in moments when they weren't supposed to. Uh, and so, yeah, and we're, we're pressing in, in inopportune moments and not really setting ourselves up to succeed. And then the back line wasn't, moving as a unit and kind of dropping him and those long balls are coming in and it, it set us up to, to be in really dangerous positions a lot. And, and it ended up being one of the things that killed us in this game. Um, there's some other stuff that Wolf said about kind of unprompted about needing, about needing better players. I mean, not more talent, I guess not better players, but more talent overall. He, he kind of did just say we need better players though yeah. at the one point, right? <laughs> A little bit, yeah. I mean, I guess if I was, def- I don't know, if I was defending my system and was was where we are, I might also like suggest that I needed a little more help too. But yeah, he definitely uh, brought that up, which I thought was a little bit interesting. It seems like a midweek press conference kind of a thing, and not necessarily yeah. the thing you talk about in the post game after uh, coming out of this one. Yeah, I mean, the, uh, Eric Goodman's question was like, how do like what do you, what does your team need to do to be able to pull, pull wins off like this? And that, like that came out of that question. And so it wasn't out of nowhere, but it was also not exactly the question. And so it's a little bit telling is like, yeah, we need better players and we're working on that right now. So stay tuned. Oh yeah. I did uh, like that part of it too. <laughs> um, and then Diego Fagundes was the player who, was available for media afterwards. What were some of the things that he said during his, his bit? I guess. So, you know, we don't know anybody's contract situation, but I suppose from Diego's comments, he, it must be up at the end of this year because he talked a lot about how much he loves Austin. He's not going anywhere. He's staying here. This is a new home. And then, uh, that was the, his initial, I don't remember who asked him that question the first time, but then Michelle Sanchez basically asked him to repeat it in Spanish, and he said the whole thing over again in Spanish. So he really made a big commitment to Austin um, overall. 
So did you get the idea that it, his contract is up at the end of this year? I, you know, I, I got the idea of that answer that I did, because otherwise I don't know why he would talk about not going anywhere unless he was unless he had options to go somewhere. So I th- I think I would imagine with a guy that young as a free agent, we probably did get a multi-year contract out of him. But there were rumblings earlier this season from him getting offers from overseas, uh, playing in Uruguay. And I can't remember what the other countries were, but maybe he was referring to that. Uh, I, I would be surprised if he were on only a one-year contract as young as he is, but if he is on a one-year contract, it means that he'll get to renegotiate that contract at the end of this year. We'll probably get a raise, uh, but if he's not, I, I, yeah, I don't know. Maybe he was just referring to not wanting to leave the league, but in any case, it's good to hear that Diego's committed and is hoping to stay for a while. Yeah, it is. Do you want to talk about any other, um, players, specifically that that we didn't didn't get into during the game review only one which is danny Pereira. uh no well we already kind of mentioned did no we didn't mention we didn't talk about danny Pereira yet we Um, haven't talked about danny Pereira yet yeah so danny playing the six uh we all know he's good on the ball carries the ball really well dribbles out of pressure really well and he did that against dallas like he he was good in all those areas but was still pretty poor in defensive transition. There was several moments where uh, he wasn't good enough in in killing transitions, winning balls, stepping in and putting out fires, and you need your six to be able to do those things. And he very rarely did any of that. So um, I think Josh Wolf definitely needs to either play Alex Ring in that sixth position, like that needs to be the the move going forward, or we need to bring someone else in because I think playing Danny Pereira at the six by himself is, is not a good long-term solution. He's just not the ball winner, not that, that uh, kind of that destroyer you need in those moments. So where do you, where do you see his ultimately his, um, where do you see him playing? You see him playing like at an eight or where do you think he's? I like him. I like him sitting deep like that because he is good at, at kind of turning out of those moments, uh, turning out of the game. But like I, I, I do think I kind of like him maybe in in a double pivot with with another guy back there as kind of the destroyer role, or in kind of an eight an eight position, kind of like where Ring plays. But um, it kind of seems like playing him at the six is just a way to get him on the field because if we bring in another six, you're not like. Danny's not starting over Ring or Juicy, and so maybe he's just like a rotation option there at that point. Which I think on a really good MLS team, that's what Danny Pereira is—is is a rotation option. He's not a starter on a really good MLS team. So if we if he is a rotation option, I think that's a good sign for Austin FC. Well, let's uh get into the rest of the year, which is coming up soon. But before we do that, we'll, we should probably take a break. Yeah, let's do it. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Moon Tower Soccer is brought to you by our friends at FBF Law, the official injury lawyers of Austin FC. FBF is a different kind of personal injury law firm dedicated to community, transparency, and client education. You can go to fbf.law to find out what makes FBF a different kind of injury law firm and why understanding your legal options can dramatically change the outcomes of a case. Once again, that's fbf.law. All right, let's talk about hot sauce now. 
Let's do it. Uh, let's talk about Teardrop Pepperco hot sauce. Or is it Pepperco, Pepper Company? I guess Pepper their website's company. Pepperco. They are Pepper Company. Teardrop Pepper Company has finally created the perfect recipe right here in Austin, Texas. Their all-natural, award-winning hot sauce has a delicious blend of flavor and heat, enhancing your favorite foods and leaving you wanting more. Whether you like the zesty kick of Golden Habanero or garlicky smoothness of Supreme Serrano, it's the best way to spice up your Austin FC pre-match meals. Teardrop Pepper Company has two unique flavors available, and you can order them from their website, teardroppepperco.com, or from their social media pages. And you can use offer code GOLD to save 10% off your order. Put it on everything, they'll make more. And that, that ended up in somebody's Halloween. Did you see that? No. Somebody who listens, I think it was, maybe it was Devin on their, like, candy basket wrote, take what you want. They'll make more on it, which came out of the teardrop Pepico read. So I missed that. I'll... We're creating lasting impressions right here on the ad reads. <laughs> Thanks for the support, Devin. We appreciate it. <laughs> and we are back. So, Jeremiah, we've only got two games left for the season. They're both this week. We've got Sporting KC at Q2 on Wednesday, which is the last home game, and then Portland on november 7th which is a sunday as the last game total which is also it's decision day right that's when everyone will find out exactly who's in the playoffs there will be no decisions made for Austin <laughs> our decisions are made day. our decisions are made uh but last two games of the season it's kind of it's kind of hard to believe it's like it seems like it's been forever since the season started and also like it happened two weeks ago yeah it's just been such a whirlwind and i don't know if it's just the compressed schedule and then you know we didn't have a home game until june but yeah it seems really weird i get like like really sad when i look at my seat geek app and there's only one set of tickets left in it yeah so there's like we said there's no real results to play for copa tejas was kind of the last big thing to look forward to and that's past now does austin have anything left to play for like how motivated is this team going to be in these last two games I mean, there's there's nothing in it for them. I mean, they, there's a little bit of a spoiler role maybe against Portland. But, I mean, you just have to believe that these guys are professional. I guess what they have what they have for them, hopefully on Wednesday, is to look good at Q2, right? Because they talk a lot about the support that came up. Um, I think both Josh and Diego talked about how, you know, they really love the traveling crowd and wish they played more. And so, I mean, hopefully, like, just looking good in front of the fans is the thing they'll have for them on Wednesday. And then on Sunday um, at Portland, I think there's a hundred and like 144 people have bought tickets. So there should be another good showing. So if nothing else, maybe they'll, maybe let's just like try to try to look good in front of the supporters who have followed them all year long. We can only hope. <laughs> I mean, and individually there's people, there's gotta be people playing for contracts or people playing for, yeah. to have spots, a job like, next year don't, or spots don't, or whatever. Don't replace me in the off season. Like, there are definitely going to be some guys in those those situations. And so uh, we'll hope that those end up being the guys on the field and that they actually do fight for it. Uh, but yeah, one thing that is clear is that I think the two teams we're playing against will be motivated. So Sporting Kansas City uh, is in first place in the West right now. And... If you if they stay first place in the West, they'll essentially have home field advantage all the way throughout the playoffs. They could slip down and have it 
up until a certain point until they face someone who's a, a spot above them. But um, I think they'll be they'll be fighting to to get that, and then also a, a Concacaf Champions League spot if they win the Western Conference this season. That spot gets uh, a spot in CCL. So definitely ha- still have some motivation, um, and it seems like they're also going to have a pretty big crowd coming to town. Is that right? Yeah, I believe they're supposed to have about 150 uh, people to come down, which is pretty good from Sporting KC, which it seems Kansas City seems so far away. But I think we've talked about this. It's actually the third closest MLS franchise to Austin, like yeah. only <laughs> only f- uh, further away in Dallas and Houston. Yeah, and they're they're tied right now on points with Seattle and only up on goal differentials. So I mean, it's a really tight race for first in the West. They'd be very motivated. They're um, three wins and two losses in their last five. Um, lost to Minnesota United. On Halloween two one, Minnesota's been in a pretty good streak too, so that's not that surprising. Um, so their attack is led by okay. So Johnny Russell is what is he? He's from Ireland, correct? Mm, Irish oh, or Scottish? Weird. I don't he's, know. He's <laughs> dang it. Yeah, he's not from England, but he's from somewhere on one of those islands, right? He's got fourteen goals. Uh, he causes a lot of people a lot of trouble. He, he he's Scottish. He's, he's Scottish. Scottish. I just looked it up. Okay. <laughs> oh man, there's going to be some. I don't know if James Vincent listens or not, but if he does, he's gonna be really really <laughs> mad at me right now about covering that up. But I mean, he's always a threat. Um, look good against Minnesota United, and then the other uh, their other leader in attack was 16 goals is Daniel Saloy, I think. Uh, Sh- Shallowy, I believe is how you Shallowy. pronounce it. Okay. But uh, awesome. young Hungarian kid who's in like been so good this year that he's been in some people's MVP discussion. Uh, I think he's recovering from a slight injury, but I think he played 30 some odd minutes in that last game. So he would likely be ready to go. If not starting at least off the bench uh, for this game, I think is Alan Polito still injured. I believe he's still out. I think he's Um, still out. Yeah. But they don't seem to be missing him much at this point because they're in really good form. Johnny Russell is, is, uh, in really good form. And so if, with Russell and Shallowy on either side coming at us, that's a really potent attack to to try to defend against. Yeah, and then uh so their keeper Tim Milia. Did you did you see all this stuff the uh Seattle Sounders <laughs> thing and somehow the rock got involved on Twitter? Yeah. Can you maybe for those maybe for people who don't live their lives on Twitter, can you explain that situation a little bit? Yeah, so uh I think it was either a a set piece, some type of set piece. I think it was a corner that uh, Christian rolled on. Kind of like Melia goes up to punch a ball, rolled on, backs into him, and like a pretty dangerous play in the moment and goes down. And I think in that same moment or just afterwards, uh, rolled on is kind of like backing Melia into his own goal. And Melia grabs him around the throat and does like essentially a wrestling move and just like pile drives him into the floor. And ends up getting just a yellow card. It absolutely should have been a red and like a multi-game suspension probably. I think retroactively he got a one-game suspension but should have been sent off in the moment. Uh, maybe rolled on should have been sent off for the moment before or at least gotten a yellow, but Melia only got a yellow. And so he ended up ser- serving a one-game suspension uh, last week, but he should be back for this game uh, against us. Yeah, he yeah, he should he will be. And then so our previous experience was man, I mean, the the game that the season all turned um on May 9th when we were off to one of the best starts for a first year expansion team in French in like the history of the league. 
we lost 2-1 after we took a 1-0 lead and Alex Rain got a red card. And then that led to a really, really bad, what, month or so um, yeah, after that? It, it could have all been different. <laughs> For sure. Uh, and then we went there in June and drew away 1-1. So we've got one loss and one draw. And this is one of the clubs that will play three times this year, which is something I'm not in love with. And one of the things I'm looking forward to about 2022 is getting a little bit more of a balanced schedule. Yeah. Yeah. Balanced, maybe competition wise, and then also just not having so many damn home games in a row and like giving ourselves a bit of a break <laughs> during the season. For sure. Um, anything else you, anything else you wanted to cover for the Kansas City game? No, let's just go on to Portland. Um, like you said, they're both, uh, they're both playing for something. So Portland's sitting in fourth on 49 points, but. It's still not guaranteed a playoff spot. I think, I think maybe eighth or ninth place is at forty-five. So there's still a logjam kind of right around where they are after the top three in the league. So they should have all the reason in the world to want to play and win. Yeah, I, I think it's possible that they, I, even likely that they will have clinched by that game, but uh, not guaranteed because I, I think, I think like if LAFC draws or loses on Wednesday, then Portland is in. So it's they could lose both of these games they have left and still get into the playoffs. But it could turn out being where they have this one game to play their way into the playoffs or at least clinch a playoff spot and have it in their hands. And so, yeah, I, I think they'll definitely be motivated. Uh, Dairon Espria, who in the last two Austin games has been like fine at best, he notoriously comes alive in playoff season. And so he scored an amazing goal, will probably be in goal of the year contention uh, at the end of the season. Uh, so he's in good form. Uh, Felipe Mora has 11 goals on the season. And so, uh, yeah, I, I think there's, there's not going to be any easy games in these last two for sure. Yeah. And that doesn't even cover like, I mean, there's a, uh... There's Charas, who are still playing. Yeah, Jimmy Charas playing really well, particularly. Um, and so I think that that will definitely not be an easy match. So let's talk. You know, um, we have in here that in uh, if they finish fourth, they would host a first round match. We're going to get into the playoffs next week, but the just so people know, the bracket is the first place team gets a bye. Is that how it works? First Correct. place team yeah. gets a bye. Okay. And, and so then, I, I don't think we mentioned that, but SKC will be playing for that bye as well. Uh, and then the first four teams will get uh, to play at home in the, at least the first round. And then kind of depending on how things shake out from there, the higher seed will play at home. But if you finish in the, in the, fir- in the top four, which Portland is in fourth right now and will want to stay that way, then they'll uh, be guaranteed to... Uh, to get that home field advantage, at least in the first round, if not further on, depending on who they play in the next round. Gotcha. So, yeah, as of right now, they would play Minnesota at home. So it's two plays seven, three hosts six, four hosts five. Um, and then the, the um, team of the bye will be waiting on the winner of the four or five game. But we'll get all in, we'll get into that uh, next week in, in a lot more detail. So I think, okay, so this is something I wrote in here. I want to talk about food and I want to talk about because. <laughs> We got our last. This is so we've got our last home game on Wednesday, um, and one of the things I really noticed in Dallas or in Frisco was how much better our food options are at Q two, and really made me appreciate like actual local restaurants and everything, not just being like generic concession stand food like we got in high school. 
which is what we got there. So, uh, well, I found this article on the uh, Austin FC website, which is Chef Sam, and he had his three three recommendations. His top three are the tostada, you could take it from one taco, the vegan Sonoran dog from Tilox, and the hatch chili queso verde from the queso fountain were his top three choices. Have you had any of those three things at the stadium? I've had the not vegan Sonoran dog from T. Or unless they're not all vegan, are they? Maybe I got fooled and got a vegan one in Exodus, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure the one I got was not vegan, but I did very much enjoy the, the T. Lokes hot dog. <laughs> all right. I've had the hatch, I've had the hatch chili queso verde from the queso fountain. And that was really good. But like, what's your favorite? Do you have a go-to food? Do you eat at the stadium? Uh, yeah, we do occasionally. I like the, the bow from bowed up. That's a pretty, as far as like quality to price ratio, I think that's a pretty good shout. And then sometimes if we're just like running late, there's a handful of things that you can order on the Austin FC app and just run and pick up. And one of those things is the Double Dave's pepperoni rolls. Um, And so for uh, convenience, we'll do the pepperoni rolls every once in a while. But if we get in there early, I'll go for the T-Lokes hot dog or the bowed up pretty often because the lines aren't super long and it's not that expensive but um i would like to try some other things i just kind of like found a couple of things that work and are fast and so i've been kind of sticking to those yeah we use it jackson loves the pepperoni rolls which is wild i mean whatever because we can we can get that by the house <laughs> all the time too he usually gets those and i i get the brisket taco from um Valentina's a lot because it's right by the supporter section and if you get there early enough the line's not that bad and it's kind of pricey for one taco but it's really really good so it's worth eating yeah i might have to try this uh tostada yucateca from one taco that that would be that would be the one i would try but we we, we had the queso fountain um had chili queso verde like for the first game and haven't had it since so maybe a return trip to the queso fountain to get the to get those will be our plan for for the wednesday night match Start the year as you, or end the year as you started it. Yes, as is tradition. <laughs> All right. In other Austin FC news, uh, Micah Burton, who is part of the U17 Academy team, got called up to the U17 national team for uh, their kind of their first youth camp since the pandemic started. So that's really exciting. That's um, Austin FC's first international call up, right? So, well, second. John, John would be our first, but oh, that's right. Yeah, I guess the first youth youth call up is going to be, uh, I, I guess the first call up from the academy. But um, yeah, I was I was really excited to hear this, and so it it is the U seventeen national team, but all of the players that got called up are actually U sixteen or younger, and so it seems like so the the most recent U seventeen World Cup that was supposed to happen got canceled because of the pandemic. And it seems like they're hoping to be able to have one in uh, in 2022. And so I would imagine this camp is kind of preparing for that. And so they picked players who are a year younger than would be allowed to be in that camp in preparation that these are going to be a players they're going to be choosing from. So um, I think I was a little bit surprised to hear that Micah Burton, like if Micah Burton got called up, that there weren't also one or two others from the Austin FC team. But the other best players on that team are a year older than Micah, essentially. So uh, really exciting. Micah Burton is one of the players that came in from uh, Minnesota when they kind of pared down their academy a year and a half ago or so. 
and has been playing with that U17 team. So he's one of the few U16 age group players that has been starting and getting minutes with that older group and has looked like the best player on the field at times. So really exciting and I think really well-deserved. So hopefully he can uh, impress on the national stage and continue to get those call-ups and hopefully play in some competitions for the U.S. in the near future. So you've seen him play probably more than most. Is there anything about his game that you is particularly notable other than him just clearly look like he's a forward first of all which i don't think we we say yeah, you know, people who, who don't necessarily or that's what he's listed at here is a forward not a midfielder but like he's more of, what do you know for, about him for austin he's played as like kind of an attacking midfielder more so than than a forward um really smooth on the ball uh really skillful uh like dribbles around people and and does yeah just really impressive kind of like running circles around dudes on the ball sometimes. Um, he's also like decent physicality. Like even with these U 17 teams, he's, he's not a, a huge guy, but has a decent frame on him and holds his own against bigger, stronger players at times. But, um, but yeah, I, I think he's got a real chance to, as he like matures a little bit and, and gets some more experience to be a really exciting player to watch. Yeah. And the camp itself. So this is camp is what November 1st to 8th. Um, Apparently, it's the kickoff, the 2022-2023 cycle. So the, what do we expect of it? Do they play? They don't play anybody, right? There there's no not going to be any games, I imagine. It's it's a pretty big group, so I think there's 30-some-odd 30, 30 players that got called in. So I imagine it'll be just coaches getting to know them, getting a look at them, and then doing some, some scrimmaging among the players, and probably just so that the coaches can get an idea of of who they are and who they might want to call in again going forward as they do get closer to some real competitions. Um, we have first team news of sorts is that Roddy Redis, well, it was announced today that Roddy Redis had a surgery on his meniscus, which we've heard about, right? He picked up a knock at some point in the preseason. Right. Didn't talk but about it, was, it for a while. Josh brought it up later in the year. Do We, we don't necessarily know that it's even the same injury or not, do we? No, they've never confirmed that. So yeah, that slight knock there, and then just but I guess the day of, or maybe the day before the FC Dallas game, they announced that he would be on the uh, injured list for that game. And then uh, today on Monday, we got news that he had had surgery on it today and uh, is recovering. But it was a meniscus injury this time. Like you said, we don't know if it was the same injury or if this is a new injury. Uh, but a meniscus. Injury is much less severe than other common knee injuries. So I think a lot of people are familiar with ligament injuries, ACL, MCL tears. Meniscus is more of like a cartilage damage thing. And so this procedure is uh, pretty minor and you can recover from it in a few weeks, really. Yeah. Um, so, and you got, well, okay, two things. So first of all, I, I went to the uh, four ATX Foundation Gala. Uh, last week, and Rodney was at my table, and he did not appear to have any trouble moving at the speed as <laughs> the speed at which one walks around a gala table, which is really kind of slow. But you know, the poor guy, like having to listen to people talk for two hours in a language you don't understand, is probably not the greatest <laughs> way to have an experience. But also, so you did a little research, right, on um the injury and what it might be and the recovery. So, do, can you share a little bit of that? Yeah, so this is all coming. My cousin Amber is a uh, a physical therapist 
and has been doing that for quite a while now. So I figured she'd have a pretty good idea of of what this injury was and what it meant. And this is primarily in response to I, I saw quite a few people online acting as if like this is proof that the that the team had had mismanaged Rodney and that they did a bad job managing this injury if he's having surgery now. But I just wanted to find out like what is this injury and does it always need surgery? And so what my my cousin told me is that uh, a meniscus. This is a quote here. Meniscus doesn't always need to be doesn't always need to be repaired because part of the meniscus is really vascular. And if that part is injured, the prognosis is really good to return to previous level of function without surgery. If it's the part of the meniscus that is less vascular, the likelihood of self-repair is less and therefore may be less successful without surgical repair. Therapy and proper exercise and activity modification are very successful in treating most meniscus injuries. And so she had some more information in there, but essentially said that depending on what kind of injury it is, can generally it's a lot of times just going to cause discomfort. Um, if it's worse than that, it is actually causing like, uh, is changing your joint mechanics. Then those are the moments when you likely do need surgery before you're going to be able to return to activity. Uh, so without knowing what the injury was exactly, or if this is an older injury or another, like a new secondary injury or the same injury made worse by, by a new incident, there's no way to really know what this was. So I think, did, did you read anything into this? Do you think this is some some great mismanagement of, of Rodney Redis by not having surgery earlier? No, I don't. I mean, I know I did see a lot of that today. And, you know, I don't know what people are. I think there was some discussion about, you know, did that make you feel better or worse? It's like, is this the reason that Rodney's been not that great all year. I don't think the meniscus injury and like Rodney Redis's performance on the field this year are terribly directly related. Yeah. I think, I think, I, it, I think it was, if it was really holding him back, he would have had the surgery, right? That's yeah. That's how I feel about it. Yeah. I think so too. And like, if we, if we had more information and there was like, this has been the same injury all along and he could have had surgery early on in the season and it would have actually improved his performance and his speed and his agility by having that surgery, then yeah, I think that maybe is a mismanagement, but we don't, we don't know that. Like we don't know what it was. And Dave Tinney is very highly respected in his, in his field. He would have been one of the people involved in, in kind of advising Rodney on that. Uh, They're not going to play a guy if he's a not playing to his best ability especially with such a quick recovery time on a surgery like this. And then B, if it's going to cause more damage, they're not going to continue to play him. And so I, I have a hard time believing that this was, they're, they're forcing Rodney to play through pain or something because they wanted him available. I think it's more of a thing like either it's a new injury or it wasn't that bad. And they're just like, yeah, just wait till the end of the season if it's not bothering you that much. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's kind of where I think we are. Right. I mean, just like we said, before what we have left to play for we got two games left what do we get out of rodney playing now we get like rodney's best use is to go ahead and get the surgery and start the recovery process to have the best 2022 that he can possibly have yeah there's, hitting, no, there's no benefit to having him on the field for these last two games yeah we've got we've got enough enough depth at that position we've got enough wingers. we don't need him 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> and then with, so it's like, I think three to three to six weeks is like full recovery on this. And so he can be rehabbed and fully recovered before preseason even starts. And so, um, hopefully it does like, it does make him a much better player. The player we hoped he was going to be. I don't have high hopes for that because I watched him a lot in Paraguay before he had any injuries and stepped foot in Austin. Uh, I think he's still young. We could see him improve, but I don't know that his form had a lot to do with any knee injury. Yeah, you're right. If, if he's going to, it's just going to be development. If anything happens, you know, we saw, saw a lot of development out of, out of uh, Romagna this year for looking at the, the guys from Wadani. Um, I think we have one more piece of Austin. What's well, not Austin FC news. We have one more piece of Q2 stadium news um, to share. Yeah, so there had been rumors of uh, the Mexican national team playing a friendly at Q2 Stadium, and it was finally made official today that on December 8th, Mexico and Chile are going to be playing a game at Q2 Stadium, which is pretty freaking cool. Like, it's, I mean, it's cool that any national teams are, like, choosing this place to come and play a friendly at, but the fact that it's the Mexican national team, I think tickets the pre-sale tickets go on sale on Tuesday, the day that this episode releases. And I imagine they will sell out and then immediately be on sale for five times the five times marked up on the secondary market immediately. <laughs> yeah. I would have to imagine this will be a super hot ticket. And so every, this will contain the string of every match this year of being sold out. I would imagine at Q2, because we've also had with the women's, the women's U.S. women's national team played to a sellout, and the men's national team has played twice, right? Um, in a Gold Cup semifinal and then the uh, World Cup qualifier. So this will definitely continue that streak. And that's something I'm struggling with because I don't necessarily want to go to the game, but I'm gonna, you know, but I have access to tickets, so I, I will commit now. If I get tickets, I will sell them at face value to somebody, <laughs> you know, on yeah. Seat Geek to not scalp them. I think I'll probably sit this one out, but it'll be fun to watch watch on tv to see uh that that like a different crowd and the different energy coming into into q2 and kind of seeing it just spotlighted to a new a new audience as well so uh, i'm excited about that one i know you said that was the last thing but i want to circle back to a thing you briefly mentioned that i kind of actually wanted to talk about on the show is you went okay. to the four atx foundation okay uh event and sat at a table with some of the austin fc players yeah, so I got invited. So the 4ATX Foundation, right, which is the club's foundation, had a gala that was on last, I think Thursday of last week, and it was it's about 200 people at it. It was at the stadium. There was like a pregame VIP thing in the field club, and the event itself was at the Q2 club. But one of the things is a lot of the tables had players at them, and so I, I knew this was going to happen. Um, and our table ended up having uh, Johan Romagna and Ronnie Redis. Um at our table, which is luckily our table is very bilingual because, you know, those poor guys, you know, I mean, they're like, you know, from the Colombians, one's from Paraguay and they'd probably like, I can't imagine any player loves sits sitting through like two hours of like presentations and like live auction and silent auction people talking, but it would be much harder if like you weren't a native speaker of the language too, I think. But I mean, they were smiling, they were happy and everybody else at the table talked to and they seemed to have a good time. And, um, Andy Lockknight came to about to me like three times and like wanted to know if anybody had said anything that was like podcast worthy <laughs> content wise. And so I didn't hear that. So the guys all did a really good job of like keeping whatever secrets they had to themselves 
So the most interesting thing that I learned was because this was Thursday night and the game was on Saturday, was that none of them could drink. So they all, they all just drank water. <laughs> and that was it. But yeah, it was a beautiful event. Uh, Brad Stuver won uh, like a humanitarian award for a player. And so I got to talk to him and his wife for a little bit. Um, and then Derek Chubbs, the CEO of the Central Texas Food Bank, won like the other award. But yeah, it was cool. It was Adrian Healy emceed it. Um, I think my favorite line of the night was that Adrian Healy said that the uh, salads looked as good as Julio Cascante. And Julio Cascante <laughs> was sitting like one table over and just like smiled and turned red in a way that, that you would. Julio does speak English and definitely understood that. <laughs> yeah, he absolutely knew what was going on, and he was super embarrassed by it, but probably also appreciated it at the same time too. So, no, it was a it was a, it was a fun event. All right. Well, anything else we want to cover before we wrap up? No, let's just look forward to a good final week of the season. And then um, one of the things that I think Ashley and Brandy have both asked us is like, what does the off season schedule look like? Like, will you got will will you guys have things to talk about? Um, yeah. <laughs> When there aren't, you know, when there aren't games, and I think you have the best answer. So can you answer that question right quick? Oh, yeah. Like people ask, like, what are you going to talk about during the offseason? It's like we've been doing a show for like three years, so we'll have stuff to talk about. Don't yeah. worry. Uh, but honestly, there's actually quite a bit to talk about, especially in like the immediate postseason. Roster moves will start almost immediately. You'll have stuff shaking up really quickly. So uh, we don't really plan on taking much of a break. Maybe a break over Thanksgiving and then another one around Christmas time. But we plan on putting out shows pretty much nonstop for the until the, the next season starts. So, uh, which is rumored to start at the end of February. We don't have official dates yet, but it's going to be a relatively short off season compared to years past. So, uh, there won't be a ton of space to fill, but we are going to continue to put out shows and we'll have quite a bit to talk about and quite a bit of news to cover, most likely. So, uh, yeah, don't don't think we're going anywhere. We'll, we'll definitely be be here the whole time. Yeah, and one thing that I want to hopefully do during this off season that I mean, we can't we don't know yet that we can't commit to is like get some more people from the club because I feel like the team was like super busy during the year because they're like putting on a season and they were putting on a season sort of in a rush with the way the schedule stacked up. So hopefully we will get some more you know get some more folks on from the team, you know, players, front office staff, or whatever. And I think we would be super interested in hearing you know, from, from folks who listen, like who, who would be a good guest? Who should we, who should we talk to? It's funny. I was, uh, this is another Andy story. So I was like, I want to have that guy on. And I was pointing at Adrian Healy, but he was, but he was standing with Josh Wolf and Andy's like, Hey, you should totally have Josh Wolf. And I was like, well, that guy too, but, uh, actually, but I don't I know mean, if, if you'll give us Josh Wolf, we'll take right, it. Right. 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 Oh yeah. Then he's like, well, I mean, I can't, I can't speak for the the PR staff. Like, I don't know, but yeah. But yeah, we would love to hear from y'all, like who who either from Austin FC or from the league or what writers or whatever, like what do you want to hear from us that would help you sort of get excited about the lead up to next season? We're also uh, in talks with some some friends of the show to maybe do some kind of off the wall fun things as like little one off episodes. So hopefully we can get some of that nailed down and, and have some more information about that pretty soon. But uh, in short, stay tuned. We're not going anywhere. All right. We would like to remind you to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And then if you'd like to continue the conversation, come find us on Twitter. I'm at LVAHero87. Jeremiah is at JBentley underscore ATX. And then we're at Moon Tower Soccer, both on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, we'd also encourage you to visit the Striker Texas website. Jeremiah, what should folks look for? Well, there was a lot of really good Copa Tejas coverage in the run-up to it. So I think 
I mean, and including like two or three articles a day, like in the day before and the day of. So maybe yeah. catch up a little bit on that and check that out. Um, Phil's done some good stuff with Josh Wolf. If you didn't read that last week, and just keep following the Striker Texas because, and subscribe if you're not. Hopefully you are, but if you're not, like you can't get this kind of coverage anywhere. Uh, and for, it's for this honestly, club. it's not that, honestly it's not, not that, expensive. that expensive. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much for listening. We will be back in one week with a new episode of Moon Tower Soccer, where we will recap uh, the last matches of the season. Again, very strange to say. And then Phil West is going to join us to preview the MLS playoffs. And then <laughs> we also made some predictions earlier on in the season, and we're going to revisit those predictions, which I imagine will be fun and embarrassing. Uh, probably some some okay ones and probably lots of very bad predictions but until then i'm landon cottom i'm jeremiah bentley we'll catch you next time muchas gracias bye bye